0: starts with knowing that I'm not alone. What that means for me starts even within my own self. I'm not alone. You know, even in the process of writing this book, writing my mother's voice, calling on her to support me, you know, just feeling to them.
1: Hello and welcome to the We Do Hope podcast from Amos Trust. I'm Jessie and I'm Tilly and we'll be your hosts as each episode will be joined by fascinating guests from around
2: the world exploring what hope means to them. We'll be jumping in at the deep end, talking to people about some of their biggest challenges and where they find hope in their daily lives. These
1: conversations might inspire, surprise or move you, but we'll come away with a little bit more hope, hopefully. So let's dive in. Well, Jesse, it's so nice to see your lovely smiling face. How are you today? I'm
2: great, thank you. How are you?
1: I'm really good. And I've been thinking recently, um, do you remember how we spoke a lot when we were beginning this podcast journey and in our pilot We spoke about an understanding of what hope means to both of us and what we wanted to understand more about the concept as the podcast went on. And I said, I was interested in the idea of hope as a practice, as something you can actively do and develop like a muscle. And I think you were particularly interested in the social aspect of hope about engaging with the world and trusting other people. Well, I think today's guest is really going to be able to speak to those ideas and develop our understanding of them too.
2: Yes. So today we are honored to be joined by Chidiogo akinyele Pa. Chidiogo is many things. She is an author, a speaker, and the founder of She Roars, which is an organization that connects women of color to their purpose and their intuition. Her name roughly translates to God is gracious with blessings and my cup overflows. And it's such a fitting name for someone who has accomplished and experienced so much. Diego has lived across four continents, growing up in Nigeria and now living in Canada. She speaks seven languages, and she's been named among a hundred most influential young Africans. She is also someone who really changed my perception of what it even means to define yourself as a list of things. And she introduced me to the concept of Ubuntu, which is an idea of interconnectedness. And we'll ask her about this as she'll be able to explain it far better than I can. I Am Because We Are is the name of her book, which is a memoir about
1: her mother, Dora Akunyili, a titan of Nigerian politics who battled misogyny, corruption and assassination attempts in her fight to protect the health of Nigerians.
2: Chidiogo has also recently become a mother herself to little Nora, and I want to ask her about that and whether it's changed her understanding of her mother's love, as well as how the concept of Ubuntu that she learned from her parents has shaped her view of hope in the world. So without further ado,
1: we welcome to the We Do Hope podcast, Chidiogo Akunyali Pa. Hi, Chidiogo. How are you today?
0: hello hello hi tilly hi jesse it's wonderful to be here
2: it's so lovely to have you welcome and could you tell us where you're calling us where you're talking to us from
0: today uh incidentally i'm calling from london but (gasps) not your average london london ontario
2: (laughs) (gasps) okay
0: It I was, was going to say,
2: you're just down the road. We could have done this in
0: person. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> one of the more confusing uh, places in the world because everybody gets <laughs> excited that you're in London, but it's the other London. The, much oh, smaller sister.
2: <laughs> the other London. Oh, well, it's lovely to have you joining us today. I must say, I've been listening to your audio book, and um, it's so nice now I've had your voice accompanying me over the last few few nights I've been listening to it in the evenings and it's really nice to actually hear you in person
0: oh that's beautiful (laughs) I'm glad
2: (laughs) Uh, Chidioga
1: we always ask our guests the same first question and that is what's something that has made you hopeful this week
0: Mm. So I've been away from home, my home is Toronto, for about three months. And part of it was really to escape, you know, the winter layered upon, you know, just yet next COVID wave, and I was postpartum. And, you know, the sort of the the weight of fear and anxiety that everybody had been carrying, I really needed time off. And I came back and I I, a friend happens to be having a first fire gathering in the park, and you know, we all gathered and. Everybody was just feeling that energy of the spring. And, you know, the friend whose birthday it was and who's gathering us together was sharing how we have forgotten how to come together. And it was her intention this spring into the summer to become an anchor because, you know, you almost need that person that every Friday she's going to show up and send a ping and whoever shows up. Because that muscle hasn't been exercised and definitely in our lives in this part of the world, given there was so many lockdowns and so much fear and isolation and all of that. So that gave me hope this, you know, the spring and this rebirth and at the same time people really reclaiming community and the power and, and what it means to come together. Wow.
1: You, you can I, tell you're a writer, Chidiogo. That was just beautiful and completely <laughs> off the cuff. I can't believe it. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. And I imagine the, the the transition, as you say, from the cold, cold winters in Canada where you live to, to the spring must just feel like a brand new, brand new world.
0: It's huge. This was a tough winter. And for me, yeah. you know, layered tough winter so Mm -hmm. it it really does feel good and you feel that in everyone's energy all around and that's that's beautiful.
2: I love that actually that idea of socializing and being with others as being a muscle that we haven't exercised and easing back into that it's such a beautiful idea and kind of being patient with ourselves and getting back to socializing with others is such a gorgeous thing. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah,
0: we're out of shape.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and we can get there though. We can get there. Yeah, um, so Chidiogo, could you take us right back to the beginning? I guess it makes sense to start there. Um, mm. You grew up in Nigeria and I, I mean, I've been listening to a book, which um, I would really highly recommend to anybody listening. It's such an interesting read but so I know a little bit about where you grew up but can you tell us about your experiences your childhood growing up with I think it was is it five siblings that you have and how that kind of shaped you
0: Hmm. Hmm. I'm number five of six and I'm the third girl after the second who was a boy and that's significant because I was I was to have been a boy, if that makes any sense. The desire was for a boy, especially that I was, my mother was told that she couldn't have another child after me. I was a very difficult pregnancy. So so I feel that shaped me a lot. You know, somehow it's as an adult, I'm really unpacking it, this sense of always having known that everybody wanted a boy and that you were a girl. And that that was back then, you know, things have changed drastically and culturally since, but my parents' generation was sort of the last of that boy or nothing, you know, generation. And even though she had a first boy, it's like, have a second, because, you know, in case. Uh, and just, you know, to have that backing. So that was interesting. And then my little brother came along and he was the jewel of, you know, the family and my mother's. So I think that shaped me as well. So there's layers of being shaped by a big family. But I think the strongest is just um, just always being surrounded by people and their energies and their stories and life has various um, stages and we are now in the stage that we lost our parents or our parents are late now and the influence of having a big family is now that I really know that I have people I can count on, even though we're quote-unquote orphans. It doesn't feel like in any way we're alone. We all have each other's backs. As children, it might have been the opposite. It's like someone else to share your food with or it's to bug you. Or, you know. So it's like life has stages, but it's made me for sure who I am. And um, by virtue of just having so many people to learn from, to watch, to observe, to be jealous of, to uh, to try to um, what's that word to to reach their level of. My sisters were always really smart, and you know everybody was always comparing us, etc. So big families shape you. Everything in life shapes you, and they're the closest of ex- an experience.
1: As a middle child as well, Chidiogo, I really (laughs) relate to everything you just said. I'm the middle of three girls and uh, that feeling of sort of feeling what's come before you and what's come after you and comparing yourself. I really, I really felt that. Um, And now you live in Canada, but you've lived all over the world. You've studied in in different places and you lived in France, I believe, Um, and can you tell us how living in different countries and different places has changed you or informed you?
0: There's a phrase in the book. Um, the book is titled I Am Because We Are. Where I share and how, you know, my mother is reflecting, because it's written in my mother's voice, uh, Dora Queenley's voice, where she's saying that it always seemed like I was, I think it's like being pursued by fire ants and in many ways, you know, I didn't know it then, but it just felt like I was always, I was running away from something. And with hindsight, I think I was running towards something. And, you know, I left Nigeria, went to the States, uh, was study abroad in France, then moved to Germany, then moved to China, then moved to Italy, then moved to, uh, at some point I was in uh, Cameroon, moved back to the States, then I moved back to Nigeria, then to Switzerland. And now in Canada, and this is home. I promise. This is, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and why I share this is that I, I think I was, I was looking for something, uh, I, you know, you asked earlier about what was I like growing up. That comparison that Tilly sort of you echoed. You know, whatever that was, there was something that I was seeking to find my own self. Because I think what mm-hmm. happens when you're one of six and always being compared, and also part of a culture that is very happy to sort of, you know your doctor or lawyer, nothing in between, and that's your path. And that's what success means. And you get a husband or wife and, you know, it's sort of, it's like, what do I want? Who am I? What, what are, you know, so I think I needed to move away from that enough that I could find my own truth. And it took me to all these places, and they shaped me immensely. And you know, this I, I, I you know, I picked up the, la- the languages on the way. And you know, I always find it fascinating that you know my personality in French is different from German, different from Chinese, and different mm-hmm. from Italian, etc. Because. There, it's a different moment in time that I was in. You know, my German personality is, you know, confident and chatty and no worries. And my Chinese personality is like this little girl, because a lot of my friends were young and giggling and, you know, just talking about nothing all day. And that's her personality. (laughs) So these things shape you. And I, I see it clearly. And when, when I feel into the language or speak the language, what I connect to is a memory of a time. And by extension, that personality of that is anchored in the language is that time. So yeah, experiences shape us immensely. And each place gave me a gift and led me to this present moment of sort of now anchored a little more in who I am, having run away from, towards, and ultimately in search of something that I like to feel like I've I've not found, because I don't believe anymore that there was a finding, but um, uncovered.
2: Mm, Sounds like you were always kind of seeking to connect with others and learning all those languages. It's Mm. just, I always say if I had a superpower, it would be to be able to speak any language. And mm. so you're kind of, you're living that. You've you you you've kind of learned all these languages, which is so impressive. And seeking that connection with other people, it's just, yeah, it's really amazing.
0: It's a tough one, you know, because I was b- raised bilingual. I spoke Igbo and English, and I think that really helps. So, you know, that superpower, you know, to whatever extent it helpful, like, I think it's to try to raise bilingual Mm. Uh, children and or encourage bilingualism as kids because i understand that the part of the brain that can connect to language is easier becomes more developed to so whatever extent that's helpful
1: oh well lucky yeah. nora nora will get lots of languages
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying i'm trying it's hard
1: <laughs> yeah i imagine and um tell us a little bit about your um Your company, She Roars, what does it stand for, the name, but also what do do you do in it?
0: So when I founded She Roars, now six years ago, it was reimagining our Africa rising. I was really excited about that. It's like, oh, yeah, that's the, you know, it stands for Roar and We Roar. Mm. And it was after a conference I facilitated, it was Dar es Salaam. It's like 300 women and there was just so much emotion and I really realized that there's so much gratitude that we held a space for people to be able to share and so much was coming up. And it really struck me that I had, for all the places and spaces I'd occupied, conferences, et cetera, because my focus had also always been on Africa, I'd never really been in a space where we were invited to be a little more vulnerable. And, And that was something that sort of struck me as a need, just given how Everybody will tell you the story of struggles going on in different contexts across the continent. But where are the spaces where we can talk about this? A lot of the conferences might be a little bit more, you know, just focused on hard topics, economics, and et cetera, et cetera. So that was the genesis. And since then, it's morphed into, you know, sort of beyond Africa and really realizing that um, I attract a lot of women of color so that's sort of where I've now expanded that reach but in truth it's really women but somehow um, I do want to honor um, women of color just given again Mm. disproportionate struggles that happen in those spaces and the organization holds um, creates the conferences seminars workshops coaching sessions where we go deep and we can um, really tell a different story. Because what I find is that the, the we are all running on a story. Stories of others have told us of who we are, stories we tell ourselves. And what we aim to do is for people to identify what stories that they're working with and to tell a new story to connect to the story that feels more true. And you might hear an echo of my own life in there. And you're mm-hmm. not wrong, because I feel that has been my journey as well. And it's been beautiful to support thousands of women at this point on their path of of finding what is true for them, away from what is, you know, the should and you know what and all of that and um i it's something that it's a it's it's been it's been a blessing really to do that, and it's something that I hope I can always do.
2: so you are a storyteller through and through, aren't you really? And talking of stories, can you tell us a little bit about what this book is about um and what it meant to you and the mm-hmm. process of doing this book because it's about your mother, isn't it?
0: It is. Hmm. Ah, that's it's a big question. I'm trying to think where to start the process. So I'll start with saying that I thought it was the most beautiful coincidence that I finished my book, sort of submitted the manuscripts and it was launched, the pre launch, the same month as I was birthing my my daughter, you mentioned Nora earlier. So so it was just this double birth that was happening. It was literally like my book is done and now it's coming out into the world. And then my daughter was coming out into the world and they they were right there almost at the same time. And I've been working on this book for five years. And, you know, when I started it, Nora was You know, just not even a thought or, you know, and here she is. So I think that was something that really touched me. And in many ways, that speaks to the energy of this whole process of writing this book. It's felt um, like there's a lot of synchronicity, serendipity and just beautiful uh, magic that has been infused in that journey. and it started with the the invitation in itself to write the book. I was living in Geneva at the time, working uh, and was in my apartment. I journal a lot so it was like in my journal, just writing. and it was just this inspiration. I don't know if if you've read Elizabeth Gilbert's Big magic. She talks about how mm. ideas come and they just kind of float through and you have to catch it. And if you don't, mm-hmm. it floats away to someone else. And it really felt like that moment. This idea came fully formed. It was a, a, a voice almost, write my story. And I took it as my mother sharing that I should write her story. Um, not that I took it as it was like, write my story, my in this case, my mother's story. So I took it as her sharing that. And it just hit me how that was the most it just when something, something so simple you know but it's perfect because my mother's life was she lived a hopeful life and i say i don't say that lightly because nigerians were very inspired in the millions by her life because they had never seen anyone fight for people, for justice, for um, respecting the human life, uh, putting her life on the line. Um, assassination attempts on her life be by virtue of the work that she was doing in that time. She was working at the helm of um, Nafdac, which is the equivalent of the American FDA, regulating all foods and drugs, and um, basically working against fake food, fake drugs, and it's not a light issue in Nigeria because fake medicine, fake foods kill. Imagine mm. getting your infant infant formula and it's um chalk with water and you're feeding that to your your infant or your insulin, which her sister died from, which is fake, or antibiotics, mm-hmm. or even your your Tylenol, or I think panadol in the UK. You know, and you're just everything that we take for granted in some parts of the world. It just imagine when you can't take that which you're taking to heal you is killing you, Mm is was really a pandemic and people were were dying in the millions and she came and said no more. So people Mm -hmm. were just in awe of the power with which she said no. And it wasn't just saying no, she went to work and the actually the, the results showed with some like an eighty percent reduction in fake drugs and fake counterfeit food drugs and circulation being dumped in Nigeria. So her story inspired people, and even though she was passed, I thought so. Your your stories matter, and stories carry so much weight to to inspire hope, um, belief in the future, inspire people to step into their own calling their own power etc so I wanted to capture this story of someone who had done that in life and who had inspired mm. people in a way that it could continue not just Nigerians but beyond especially given that there's such a dearth of sto- of um, hopeful stories out of the continent of people of leaders and here was one that everybody acknowledged as one but whose story mm. you might otherwise not have known and um here we are you know it's like really grateful they had the the publisher that resonated with it and said yes and I could honor the the invitation and step into writing this story in my mother's voice because I wanted the reader to connect directly with her and five years later and um, September of last year she was birthed.
2: It is an intensely hopeful story and I think It is relevant for anyone reading it wherever you are in the world. And Dora Akaneeli was, she's, as we said in the introduction, she was a titan of Nigerian politics. But it's also the story of just a woman, her strength and overcoming things, and also. She followed her excitement. She she went to study in London. She was a pharmacist. And I, I really got from it's it's split into really short chapters, which I really liked as well. So I listened to it in like in pieces. And actually, it's one of those books where you want to go back and underline loads of things because there's so many bits in there that are so hopeful and phrases, and obviously your writing is just is gorgeous as well. And you know, she took on Fake food was it was killing lots of people and she took on not only small companies, but it was big titans like Nestle and you know, got them to dump basically millions of pounds worth of counterfeit baby milk and things like that. So she's just an incredible woman. And as well as it being an inspirational story about and motherhood and and marriage and what that meant to her, the the concept of Ubuntu, I wanted to ask you to explain this because the title of the book is I am because we are, and um I really wanted to know more about what that concept is and how it's woven throughout the book.
0: Ubuntu is an Nguni term from the Southern, East Southern Africa, and it captures humanity, our shared humanity. And I chose that title deliberately because the theme of our shared humanity was one that, was so strong in my mother's life and how she did things, starting with her origin stories as a child. She grew up in the village uh, where she lived in community and she flourished under the sort of that that moment in time where community looked out for each other. Uh, There was that power, you know, her father was was a big philanthropist in his community, helped a lot of children go to school and it's and so on. So she was really shaped by what happens when we support each other. And, you know, she has this, this is part of the book that talks about how stealing was not something that would be happen in the village because everybody knew the consequences and everybody knew the power of really just that support, etc. So I, I felt it was fitting and a, up until you know the work that she was doing was all about respecting humanity. So the 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 term of Ubuntu, I am because you are, you are because we are, shortened into the I am because we are. Is that interconnectedness? Everybody matters. My mother mattered in her life and her her stepping into her own role in this life made other people's lives so much better. And she believed that for everybody. So that's why she was not ready to to lose senselessly any one life. And that term Ubuntu came to me in 2011 was the first time I heard it. It's one of those terms once you hear it, it's like Ubuntu. And it just, it, it sounds, it feels lovely it. to say, doesn't it? Exactly. And you know what? I just found out I was, I, I was recently away. I was in Hawaii taking a little bit of time and I found out that Aloha, which many of us know, right, is mm-hmm. actually the same meaning as Ubuntu. It really is about our wow. shared spirit. I know I didn't know that, and it just struck me as, you know, these wisdoms that date back so long. We are mm-hmm. connected. Aloha, when you say that, we think of it now as just hello, but you're really acknowledging the connection that exists between you and the other, not just between humans, but all around. So it's really um, inviting that respect for for the, for life, for humanity, for and the environment for. the animals for the the very earth that you're on for um you know so you really could this wisdom can that can bring us back to what matters and i find that it's really timely in this now more than ever and her life was anchored in that in really knowing that she mattered and inviting us all to know the same and step into what that means
1: We're going to talk a little bit more about hope now. And as I'm sure you'll give a fabulous answer to this as a wordsmith, how would you define hope? What does that word mean to you? Okay. She's laughing.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. You you set the bar high.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no oh, pressure, Diego. Oh,
0: oh, oh. <laughs> mm. I think for me, Hope starts with knowing that I'm not alone. That feels like the beginning of sort of like the root of my hope. So by extension, and what that means for me starts even within my own self. I'm not alone. I, you know, even in the process of writing this book, writing my mother's voice, calling on her to support me, connecting to my grandmother who I didn't, no, I never met, and my great-grandmother, who I barely knew, and, you know, really telling their stories and knowing that I could, you know, just feel into them. And, you know, my my lineage goes back, as all of us do. And connecting to that, that Ubuntu within me, um, the interconnectedness, and knowing that I'm not alone. And from that, knowing that those that have come before me have, everything has happened for me to be here right? That's something that whenever we think about it, just sort of like, wow, everything that happened is that I am here today. Every second of their stories of the realities of that I'm here, and every second that I'm living is happening that for the future. So that gives me hope, that connection to those, the the not being alone, and the importance of of the of being present with that and leaning on that as well. So whenever I every things feel overwhelming I just sort of connect to that, connect to source. And that source for me is just is inside mm-hmm. and that makes me know that whatever it is that I'm doing, I don't have to feel alone and I can lean on that support and trust Trusts that in doing so, whatever decision it is that I have to make, whatever difficulty I'm going through, everything will be okay.
2: That feeling of trust is so beautiful. And again, interconnectedness with others, really. And coming back to it, it reminds me of um i'm thinking again about ubuntu and where i first came across this concept which was in an article which you wrote for the guardian and it was last year and it was not that long after your father's passing and it was an incredibly it was it was a, you know really moving article it was really it's obviously an incredibly tragic death and a, a tragic experience and i was so moved by the fact that it was also i found it intensely hopeful your writing and you were writing about in those times of trauma and grief finding hope and or understanding perhaps is a better word understanding about what might have led to these things happening and can you tell us a little bit about that if you're if you're happy to share
0: yes jesse thank you um It was really helpful to write that article because I was in the heart of my grief and, you know, writing can be such a beautiful outlet or helpful outlet. So thank you um, for that opportunity. Yes, I realized I was reflecting on hope for the way I feel hopeful. And, you know, you're giving me the opportunity to think of hope from a, a, a larger perspective. And I, I, I think I start. It starts with you know. I I, I find I'm very compassionate. I have a sense of. Mm, I find that compassion is important. Is an important emotion to rooting to in this time where there's just so many people come from different experiences. You mentioned my father's past and he was killed. And I had to find that compassion. You know, I'll have relatives reach out and like, oh, you know, in a Nigerian way, may the person never prosper. May they have, I'm like, no, it's okay. It's 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 not them. Someone gave them money or something. And what is their story that they have to do that? You know, it can't, can't be an easy life to live a life doing that, you know, being a, a you know, just taking another's life. You know, what what is that? What are you going through? So that's the first compassion. And within that, what 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 is what does that say about the country that has, has 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 led us to this moment in time where that's a choice that our young boys are taking. So first that's that. So that compassion that it's I'm not going to sort of go into vengeance and you know, hate for you. It's just something went wrong somewhere because I I feel like that's not who we are. As mm-hmm. much as that could feel like a part of our story, it's really not who we are. So that's mm-hmm. one. And then it says, "Well, the, there's the other part of that hope where so many Nigerians act like this, like outcry. This his death really shook the country, and it's like this is not who we are. We can't. We don't treat our elders like this. We don't do this. We don't. So I don't have a a perfect answer. What I do know is that I. I don't allow hate to feel my heart because that takes away mm-hmm. from that hope that I spoke to earlier that I like everything is, is okay. You know, if things are happening, not for a reason in this case, because it really felt senseless, but I, a part of me has trust in people's ability to connect to what's true and in doing so how that can buy, uh, come together for good. I don't think I'm, I have a perfect answer, but it's, it's where I come from that I'm trying to share. And with that, everybody has to show up. And that's why I do the work of supporting you if you need it to find that truth in yourself and hoping that more and more people in doing so, we can usher in a hopeful future.
1: Wow, we thank you so much for for that beautiful answer, and also just to say we honor the memory of your both of your parents and the work that they did. Um, so thank you for sharing their stories with us today. Um Jesse, I think you were going to ask about hope. Hope is powerful, especially when grounded in action.
2: Yeah, I think we spoke about this, um, Tilly, earlier in the, in the introduction. And we, you know, this is something I know Tilly's really interested in. And this is the answer you gave when we spoke about it earlier. But hope can be a practice and something that you do. And in our emails, when we were talking to Diego about doing this podcast, you said hope is powerful when grounded in action. And that really stuck with me. Mm. What did you, what do you define as kind of hope grounded in action? How do you act on hope?
0: hmm thanks for reminding me of that yes it's you know (laughs) you reached out it's like a podcast and hope I love it you know (laughs) and I really just sat and thought um you know what does that mean to be hopeful um and I, I I think you know something that I had at the top of my mind then you know given I was I think I was you know, it's just the the struggles of the environment right now. And I was in a space that I was reflecting on just how challenged things are right now with um, the climate and the the just our our consciousness around that. And at the same time, most people have a positive you know, they, they we all sort of want the best. Many people are, you know, just sort of conscious of about things that are the the changes that are ahead and how we all have a role to play. But yet, there's little that we do, and that's one example. And it's something that just comes to my mind because maybe it's something I've been thinking of, of again. So we can have hope, and we can talk about hope and feel hope but if we don't do anything nothing really changes and that's really that simple so i i think hope in itself is powerful but what does that what does it look like to harness that power and step into you know so the example of community let me sort of step back You know, I mentioned earlier the gathering I had with my friend, you know, we could all hope that we get together more. We could all hope that this summer we can have more and we can put this and I hope that we can. But if nobody steps forward, if nobody sends a message, nothing will happen. That's the same for our world. That's the same for change. That's the same for leaders. That's the same for everything we have hope for a better Nigeria, have hope for a better democracy, a hope for a better environment, where people need to act. And a part of me felt like writing this book was my own act of stepping into what I hope for and giving it a space to anchor. And I feel like we all, and it can be little ways. I love how when you ask your questions, how when you ask your questions, you say, well, it can be a little thing, a little example, because I think often we have this pressure of something big, you know, but I find that there's beauty in finding little things, and then you actually realize more your own power. Um, So I'll stop there.
2: It reminds me of a quote from the book. Um, I think it's at the, the beginning of one of the chapters, which is I just loved. And it was, if you think you're too small to make a difference, you haven't spent a night with a mosquito. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> Everyone can make a difference.
0: <laughs> Hopefully yeah. in a
2: more positive way. Yes. Towards the end of the podcast, we like to ask all of our guests to share what we call a prescription for hope so a kind of hope in a hurry. So going back to those small things if you are feeling a bit hopeless and you know you're really jaded with the world, what are your recommendations for getting a bit of hope or something that that inspires you? So maybe if we start with a hopeful read, is there a book, a magazine, a newspaper something that comes to mind that is inspirational? you've got your own
0: of course (laughs) oh yeah thank you I am because we are um my I have a friend who is just a warrior and every week her name is Hima and she sends a, a blog every Friday called afternoon dreams out what I find so hopeful about this is that I knew her when she wasn't sending this and it was just an idea it's like, I want to send that, I want to write, I want to capture, you know, she's just someone who has a beautiful mind and always thinking about people and how we can make the world better and how we can uh, dismantle the patriarchy. And, you know, that's sort of her fire. And she's there writing. And every week, every Friday, I look forward to it because she's going to sort of, on you know, shed light on something very poignant, important, and... And bring a little bit of compassion, awareness, inside, and way forward. So all the elements that we speak of, you know, because it's like, oh, let me think about it, but what can we do about it? And and I I love this. And it ranges from, you know, talking about, you know, appropriation to, you know, being in a space where you are taken in culture and it goes on and on. So I love it. Um, and I I look forward to it because it gives me um. It gives me hope even for the process that she went through. Now she's like in a 70th and what that means to step in something you want to do and do it. And for people and myself to receive it and always be inspired by it and take it forward. So that butterfly effect feels so beautiful.
2: To see it coming to fruition. we'll, We'll share that in the show notes so that people can sign up. Is it called Afternoon Dreams? Yes. What a great name! I'm definitely going to sign up. That I sounds
1: fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the next hope in a hurry is the hopeful watch. This could be a film
0: or a TV or a documentary. So it's an, a little. It's an old one. We move so fast in this world. It, you, you might have seen my octopus teacher.
2: <gasps> oh yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah.
0: For some, not for some reason, I'll share why I was deeply inspired by this documentary. I saw it a while, maybe a year ago now, two years ago. So I learned to swim late in life in my 20s and into my 30s almost. And it was just, I love water. And, you know, I just had this moment I was in the water looking at dolphins and like flapping around in my in my what's it called life vest. I was like, no, I need to go. <laughs> so I started swimming and then they're diving and there's something about how he was with the cold water. That really inspired me because he was just like talking about how you find peace with it and it's i love going deeper with my experience of water and my experience of my own self and what i'm capable of and i'm a a i'm a now i'm a free diver and i love cold water and cold dips wow. and polar dips and all of that and that really came from when he gave me that permission to not fear cold water but actually just think of it as mm. this love affair and the octopus part was beautiful, but for me it was really the swimming part and how comfortable he was in the water.
2: I haven't heard anyone take that um from that actually. And Tilly is right with you. She loves cold swimming, cold I water love swimming. Cold water She's swimming. a big fan. Uh, I like a cold water dip but only in the summer actually I have to say (laughs) I'm a a fair weather swimmer (laughs) (laughs) but I think yeah definitely my octopus teacher is a great one great recommendation and anyone who hasn't seen it I would really highly recommend it and how about a hopeful listen then is there something a podcast or a radio station Mm.
0: um Nagin Serafi Growing Wise it's a beautiful podcast on mm. self exploration, etc. It's beautiful
2: wonderful yeah. and we're gonna play as we're gonna ask for a recommendation for a hopeful anthem which will pa- play us out of the podcast so what would be your choice we've had a very diverse mix
0: yes I'm not sure you've ever had this one so I'm gonna- okay <laughs> I'm a Disney <big> girl <laughs> uh, I'm not sure maybe I won't quote that as who I am but I love Moana I am Moana
2: oh, oh yeah
0: You know, it's kind of like when you can add your name instead of Moana, but sort Mm. of this search and this journey and, you know, always finding yourself. I feel they captured it beautifully in that in that uh, cartoon movie. And uh, that's my jam.
2: That's one of my favorites as well. I love how how far I'll go, and I definitely like walk along the road, walking my dog, belting out that song like <laughs> at late at night, kind like, of humming it, and then I just go into a full. I can't help myself. It's great.
0: Amazing, amazing. We should just sing it instead of playing it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Chidiogo it's been an absolute privilege to hear you speak thank you so much for joining us how can people follow you and keep up with your work?
0: Um, I am on chidiogo.com and chidiogo.akunili on social media etc but really I think all of me is in that book and my mother my mother before her her mother before her and it's I am because we are an African mother's fight for the soul of a nation
2: Beautiful. Go by it. It's wonderful. I loved it. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Tilly.
2: Thanks, Diego. Bye. I loved that conversation I feel really lulled into a really relaxing state for yes. some reason I feel she is just mesmerizing to listen to and she is a writer so everything she says is so beautifully put exactly and also I've made
1: a little booth in my um my room to record in. It's like I've mm-hmm. literally got blankets around me, and I've got my headphones on, and I, I just felt so cozy and held by her voice and mm. the, what, what she was saying as well. She's got such an aura to her. Um, I would just she so encourage everybody to go and watch videos of of her speaking as well. Um, she's a true communicator, isn't she?
2: She really is. And so I, I said I've been listening to her book on on Audible, and. It's so interesting. It's such an interesting history of Nigeria, but it's also the way she writes and listening to her voice is just gorgeous. Mm. I just love listening to it. Also, I'm going to start answering questions. At the
1: beginning of each question, she sort of just really took her time and closed her eyes and thought about her answer. How often yeah. do we actually do that? Hardly I ever. love that.
2: I know yeah. I'm always rushing to fill the gap. I, I If any kind of silence, I'm like, blah, 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 blah. But actually she really takes her time. She's got so much poise and she's, and I guess through her work, she's talking about stepping into your power. And I really feel that, that she means every word that she says. And yeah, it was just such a pleasure to listen to her. And also I found, um, the The concept of names are obviously really important um, mm. in her culture and in Nigerian culture. She talks a lot about, you know, she was telling us after um, about her daughter's name and about her own name, meaning um, the cup. It's I think I find the definition. I think it was, it's God is gracious with blessings
1: and my cup overflows, which is so gorgeous, isn't it, Jesse? Is. What does what does your name mean?
2: I don't really know what my name means. I've never I think I've seen it in card shops, but I don't really know what the meaning of so Jessie is I've, I've looked looked it up. And it's um God beholds.
1: Oh. There we go. Oh. Oh. <laughs> it also Very says nice that you're rich. <laughs> or you will be oh, rich.
2: Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. There we go. It's been foretold. Well, I looked up Matilda. we call you Tilly but I did look up Matilda and there's some interesting ones it came up with a few different meanings I think the first one that came up what does Matilda mean as a name it means might strength and battle but there was something about a bushel of bags a bushel of bags that one swings from the back (laughs) That's, that's, that sounds about right
1: um that but be, i believe that comes from the the australian waltzing matilda meaning we were actually um it's not just a man dancing about it means like his bag is dancing about on his back so you're the
2: bag i'm a bag A bag of useful things though it's a very useful thing to be so you're rich so you together <laughs> we're a bag of riches Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and also it says mother of Merlin. Well, Didn't know that. Maybe one day. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> so
1: tell, tell us what your name means. We'd love to know. You can um, DM us at we do
2: hope underscore podcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. So come say hi or you can find out more at www.wedohope.org.
1: And also go and buy Chilio's book, I Am Because We
2: Are, and we'll link to a place where you can
1: buy that too.
2: And if you did enjoy today's podcast episode, do share it with a friend and please rate, review and subscribe. It really helps people find us. And we'll see you next time. Bye. This podcast
1: is brought to you by Amos Trust, a small creative human rights organisation based in the UK. Amos aims to challenge injustice, restore rights and create hope, working with grassroots partners in three main areas, street justice, Palestine justice and climate justice. They work in creative, responsive and collaborative ways to bring about local solutions to global issues. For more details, please visit amostrust.org.